0: Hi everybody, welcome to this episode of the HEART podcast. My name is James Rudd, I'm the digital media editor here at HEART. Thank you so much for the great reviews that people are leaving on iTunes and elsewhere. It really does help us reach new audience. Uh, today I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Chris Packard from the University of Glasgow. Professor Packard has written a review with colleagues which is called Intensive LDL Cholesterol Lowering in Cardiovascular Disease Prevention opportunities and challenges, and we have a great discussion all about the new guidelines from the ESC and the European Atherosclerosis Society, what it might mean for clinical practice, some of the underpinning biology, and what's next on the horizon for this fascinating area. I hope you enjoy the show. Perhaps I can ask you to maybe introduce yourself for the HEART audience, tell us who you are and where you work.
1: My name's Chris Packard. Uh, I have a long-standing interest in lipids and cardiovascular disease. My uh, position is with the University of Glasgow as a honorary senior research fellow, and I hold a title of Professor of Vascular Biochemistry, but I'm semi-retired.
0: Perfect. And I, I really wanted to get you on, Professor Packard, to talk about a recent review that you've published in Heart, with some uh, eminent co-authors, uh, and I will make a link to the review in the in the show notes. But the review is called "Intensive LDL Cholesterol Lowering in Cardiovascular Disease Prevention: Opportunities and Challenges." Um, maybe we can start by asking you to give the listeners some context, Chris, as to why this review was written and, and why it's timely to to do this now.
1: My colleagues and I decided that this review was appropriate and timely uh, with. in mind, we had an interaction with cardiologists and other people who would prescribe LDL-lowering therapy. And it became clear that while the guidelines were published and uh, lower goals were recommended, and while the evidence uh, for the benefits of LDL-lowering were present in various clinical trials, the information wasn't collected in a single place to address the questions, is it worthwhile lowering LDL further than on a statin? And is it safe to do so? And so recognising that uh, in our interactions with uh, clinical colleagues, we decided to embark upon writing a, a brief review of the situation as we saw it, addressing those particular issues.
0: And this really stems from some new guidelines, doesn't it? New ESC and new EAS Uh, guidelines and particularly LDL targets that are quite different to those in the American guidelines. Um, What do you think the reasons are for the lower European targets? The new
1: European guidelines set more aggressive targets for LDL lowering, 1.4 millimoles per litre for those at high risk or highest risk and uh, a quite aggressive one millimole per litre for those who've got repeat episodes within a short space of time. In other words, who have a very um, significant trajectory uh, of disease. The difference with the Americans is probably um, more in terms of style than substance, uh, and I'll explain that because we've debated it with our American friends, uh, obviously. (laughs) The Europeans looked at the entirety of the scientific information from epidemiology, genetic studies, and the rather impressive clinical trials with PCSK9 inhibitors, uh, Odyssey Outcomes and Fourier, and combined that information together to say, well, we should take the trials uh, seriously and look at the achieved LDL on those trials, which is down at about 0.9 millimoles per litre. And the fact that benefit didn't seem to um, reduce in terms of relative risk reduction, Uh, as LDL went down further and further. So the Europeans decided, yes, we'll set goals down in that range. The Americans, on the other hand, said, well, we'll go for 1.8 millimoles per litre. But at that point, you should assess your patient and decide, is it worthwhile adding further therapy? And if the individual is still at high risk, then go ahead and add another drug on top of a statin, PCSK9 inhibitor, or azitamide. So there is a um, concordance between the two sets of guidelines in that further therapy is mandated on top of statin therapy. But the Americans did not quite go so far as to set further goals.
0: Got you. Okay. And very briefly, what's the relationship between LDL and cardiovascular risk for those that are not familiar or as deeply into the literature as you are. You mentioned some of the pivotal trials, but th- there's a there's a strong relationship, isn't there, with lower LDL and, and lower risk?
1: Yeah. The relationship of LDL with uh, cardiovascular risk is linear across the range um, rather than J-shaped, like it is for glucose or for hypertension. So to our surprise, Uh, Rather, uh, as you drove LDL down further and further with more powerful agents, there seemed to be uh, an increment in terms of benefit. uh, Further reductions in cardiovascular risk, and within the trials, Odyssey outcomes or uh, particularly Fourier, even even if they went down to 0.3 millimoles per liter, there seemed to be further benefit from reducing that. So LDL of zero is probably not a good idea, but an LDL Uh, That is low. It seems to be very acceptable and associated with a low risk of disease.
0: And it seems to be. You you cite some evidence in your paper uh, derived from a meta regression analysis that for every one millimole per liter reduction in LDL cholesterol, you get about a twenty-two percent relative risk reduction. Um, And that presumably holds if it's a linear relationship. It holds at any value.
1: Yes. Uh, The meta-regression analysis done by the Cholesterol Trialists Collaboration, uh, where we all pooled our data um, to look at the results, uh, seems to hold all the way down the LDL spectrum. And a particular analysis was done uh, following the publication of Fourier uh, by colleagues who were looking at the time-based phenomenon as well, because some of these more recent trials uh, had short timescales. Uh, most cholesterol loading trials run for five years, but those that run for two to three years, you don't get as much benefit. But if you take it out to five years, then the benefit falls on the regression line. And the rule of thumb one millimole reduction in LDL gives a 22% reduction in risk seems to hold. But what matters then is 22% of what? And mm-hmm. that's where the absolute risk reduction comes in and, and is important.
0: Absolutely. And we always need to, to bear that in mind, of course, absolute versus relative risk reduction. Yes. And what about um, harm? Is, have you seen any harm in any of the intervention trials that you're aware of, uh, which might be due to a very, very low LDL?
1: In terms of safety uh, mm. and treatment emergent adverse effects, the trials uh, have reported nothing of particular concern so far. And given the early stories of what might happen with very low LDL levels, um, effects on uh, neurocognition, effects on cancer, effects on uh, hemorrhagic stroke were looked for assiduously in these uh, PCSK9 inhibitor trials. And we couldn't see any signal at all, even at very low LDL levels, that there was an uptick in these particular adverse events and indeed in adverse events across the board. So there seems to be no penalty to lowering LDL further.
0: And maybe we can talk through some uh, scenarios with with different of the medications, the drugs that you've mentioned. Um, What kind of percent of patients are likely to hit these new, more aggressive targets uh, on each class of drug if we take statins first? Clearly, I mean, there are different targets, aren't there, as you mentioned, for different groups of patients, uh, sort of at risk, moderate risk, high risk, very high risk. But ballpark what what percentage of, of, of folks will hit the target LDL target with statin alone do you think
1: the recent surveys the da vinci study and the euro aspire 5 studies published in the last few years uh, make it clear that uh, about maybe 40 percent of individuals will reach a 1.7 millimole 1.8 millimole polluted target uh, on statin monotherapy at a high dose Most people are not on the highest doses. There's a mixture of high dose and moderate dose statin therapy being used. Uh, Because increasing the statin dose only adds another 6% reduction in LDL, you have to go to add-on therapies. Azitamide is useful. Uh, The average reduction in LDL is about 20%. So that will take uh, a population on statin therapy uh, further down past the 1.8 millimole per litre cutoff. And probably now you're talking about 50 to 60% of individuals achieving goal. But that still leaves a significant proportion who won't achieve that goal of 1.8. As soon as you turn to PCS 9 inhibitor therapy uh, of whatever uh, flavour you like, monoclonal antibodies or the uh, incoming in clisiran RNA based products, you start to get LDL reductions of 50 or 60 percent. And then achieving these goals, particularly 1.4, becomes eminently possible in practice. So you can't achieve the more aggressive goals, probably on statins plus azitamide um, on a routine basis for almost everybody but we know from the IMPROVE-IT trial that you can achieve 1.4 millimoles per litre or 50 milligrams per deciliter for about 40 to 50% of your population on the combination of statin plus azitamide. So that is a good generic combination to work with. And then you can then uh, decide based on the risk of the patient that's in front of you whether to go to PCSK9 therapy. But with PCSK9 inhibitors, you then can achieve even less than one millimole on a routine basis.
0: And you mentioned uh, some upcoming medications, benparoic acid and clizoran and agents of that class. I mean, what do you think is next in lipid lowering? Where will we be in, say, five years time in terms of uh, what we'll be giving people after a heart attack or a stroke? (laughs) Any ideas? (laughs) Uh,
1: In terms of lipid lowering uh, in secondary prevention after a heart attack or
0: stroke,
1: I would like to think that, combination lipid lowering therapy was the rule rather than the exception yeah and you would be routinely achieving the goals that we've mentioned um there's a recent report of the triple therapy of statins plus azitamide plus bempedoic acid lowering ldl by 60 65 percent the combination of statins plus pcsk9 inhibitors with or without azitamide can lower it 85 90 percent Um, so we should be routinely achieving uh, those goals of course on the horizon uh, there are triglyceride lowering agents uh, for those individuals who have what we call a residual risk associated with raised triglycerides and that will become an option so if your patient is primarily got an LDL problem then you go down the route I've just described. If it's a triglyceride problem, then you have options of uh, fish oils, um, Vaskeeper, for example, icosapentanoic acid derivatives at high dose. Uh, but we also have uh, drugs like pemafibrate coming uh, on board, and that's being tested in the prominent clinical trial. So those are other avenues to explore in terms of the lipid lowering.
0: And in terms of uh, giving patients injection or fewer injections, as you might do with the PCSK9 inhibitors, uh, can you talk a little bit about inclisiran? Is that is that the, forgive my ignorance, but is that the medication that can be injected uh, at, at far greater intervals? Is it sort of three-monthly or six-monthly injections? Yes.
1: yes. Um, clinicians will have a choice of uh, injectables. Um, the... Monoclonal antibodies, uh, evolocumab and alirocumab, can be injected at two-weekly or four-weekly intervals. The uh, RNA-based product in Clisiran can be injected about twice a year and get just about the same uh, LDL lowering. So it will be a matter of horses for courses and it'll depend on patient preference uh, primarily. Um, the Orion 4 trial is an outcome trial of incliceran, and it will be reporting in the next year or so, I imagine. And that will give us the safety and efficacy data that we need to enable that product to be used more widely. Uh, We are uh, in a home straight with regard to the other products. Monoclonal antibodies have been thoroughly tested and can be applied uh, right away. So we are entering a new era of not only multiple therapies for Uh, combined therapies for LDL lowering, but also oral drugs plus uh, injectables. What may come further down the line are oral PCSK9 inhibitors, uh, and there seems to be some uh, promise in that area as well. So we have good options uh, going forward.
0: And I I can't let you go with that one final question about therapies uh, to raise HDL. I know this has been tried a few times. Do you think this avenue is, is just not fruitful? Are, are companies still pursuing this, the kind of CTP inhibitors that we, we all remember a few years ago? Any uh, horror stories to share?
1: <laughs> That's a very interesting question because um, the in CTP inhibitor, Dalcetrapib is actually being trialled in a, a trial called Dalgy. Okay. And trialled uh, because it had a pharmacogenomic effect, apparently, in the DAL outcomes trial. So here we have a CETP inhibitor HDL-raising drug that was found to work in individuals with a particular genotype in the ADCY9, adenylate cyclase-9 polymorphisms. One gave benefit, apparently, and one didn't. And uh, this year, that trial should report, because it's... uh, virtually complete uh, in terms of uh, clinical follow-up. So we'll find out if CETP inhibitors have an extended life uh, as pharmacogenomic agents. But in terms of general HDL raising, uh, that seems to be on the back burner at the moment until we understand more about HDL's potential cardioprotective effects. And the agents that we use to date haven't generated a clinical benefit even if they generated very substantial rises in hdl cholesterol
0: yeah, it's fascinating isn't it why there's that disconnect there and I, i've never really seen it properly explained but it's interesting that dalsetrapib is still being still being trialed in that very select group of patients it is yeah fantastic well thank you so much indeed uh, professor backard for your time it's been a real pleasure to talk to you about lipids i'll make your paper uh, free if it isn't already free uh, so listeners and readers can download it for free and, and digest everything. I really enjoyed the figure in the paper as well, which uh, is a really good way of working out where, where a patient risk would sit in this uh, fairly complex uh, set of guidelines, but you've really distilled it into one figure, so that's that's really useful. But thank you very much for joining me today. Thank
1: you for having me. Thank you. Bye now.